strangers, welcome to Iroh's Corner, a space where we agree with Uncle Iroh that sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. Today I'm joined by Jamie Gross, Senior Director at Adidas, leader of the Kohl's U.S. Wholesale Team. I first met Jamie when I worked in marketing operations at Adidas and she worked on the running specialty team and we worked together on some account events and I was immediately inspired by her and her gracious and tactful way of handling so many things at once and leading her teams and then saw her transition into her current role. And she gave a women talk that she mentioned during the episode that was super inspiring. And so when I started this podcast, I knew that I wanted to have her on as a guest and get her inspiration and wisdom out to all of you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show today, Jamie. So excited to have you. Thank you, Jesse. I'm looking forward to the time together. Awesome. I'm so glad you could be here. And I would love if you could just start off and tell us about your current role at Adidas. Sure. Well, I What I do for Adidas right now is I look after the Kohl's business for North America. So I've been in this role for about three years and I have an amazing team that I work with both at the brand and at Kohl's. And what does that mean to look after the Kohl's business is primarily the way we describe it a little bit is I'm kind of the conductor. So I'm making sure that from the inputs and product that we get those sold into Kohl's that everything comes together and comes to life from in-store perspective and just make sure that both Adidas and Kohl's are hitting their metrics and the partnership that they're looking for together. Cool. And you and your husband also own Silver Harbor Brewing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes, we do. So my husband, Mike, and I, we we opened up Silver Harbor Brewing Company in partnership with two other people. They're actually friends. I know people say never go into business with your friends, but we did and it's been okay. <laughs> we opened it about five years ago and we're located in St. Joe, Michigan. For those of you that don't know St. Joseph, we are directly across the water from Chicago. So I'm sure you've heard okay. of Chicago. And we have no experience in the brewery or beer business. And we had no experience in restauranteering. So it was just on a whim. And we both have this deep fire for entrepreneurship. I think it started in both of our parents. Mike's dad was an entrepreneur. My dad was as well. And so I think it's just deeply rooted in who we are. And we kicked that off about five years ago. And we've just, we've been growing and expanding ever since. Wow, that is so cool. And when we work together at Adidas, you just, you You've always been such a fascinating and inspiring person. I always loved following your career movement while I was at Adidas and you're so good at leading different teams and you have such great expertise. I'm curious what your kind of overall career journey has looked like to get where you are. Your undergrad degrees were in management and marketing. What initially drew you to those fields? <laughs> it's That's an interesting question because... I would have never known, you know, you kind of like go on your journey and you're connecting dots later in life, right? Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking. And for me, I actually started in school in fashion, merchandising and marketing. Oh, you know, wow. I, I, right? No, not too many people know that. So I ended up taking two semesters in that as my major. And I was in classes where we got to touch and feel the product and textiles and whatnot. And I just felt like it wasn't for me. And some of that might have been the people that I was in fashion, merchandising and marketing Mm -hmm. with. I think that they just a lot of the people that were going into that career were a lot more, I would say high fashion than what I am. They probably still are today. (laughs) And (laughs) so it's kind of funny to go full circle and end up being in that kind of career that I'm certainly not a creator or designer, but, uh, you know, working for a, I would call a high fashion company, even though it's sport. But what got me into marketing and management is I always knew that I wanted to be leading something, whether it was on my own, my own business, which I am doing, or in the broader workforce. And I was just interested overall in marketing as well and how you bring products to life and creation of that. And so that's kind of where I settled in on those two majors after I transitioned away from the fashion piece. Wow, that's super interesting. And then at what point you 
at some point got your master's degree. How did you end up there? Did you work for a while and go back? What did that look like? Yeah. So I was working for Whirlpool Corporation. So after I graduated from college, I went to Northwood University and I graduated from there. And then I entered this really cool program. It was a management development program at Whirlpool Corporation. And Whirlpool, they don't make the hot tubs, is what a lot of people think, but they actually make appliances. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of brands, Maytag, KitchenAid, Gen Air. And I was in their management development program, their sales development program. And I was in a program called Real World. So at the time, I don't know, Jesse, if you remember this, but the Real World show was on MTV. It was super popular. Mm. And they put all these people in a house and they lived together. And so Whirlpool did a spin on that, Real World. And I lived in a home with eight strangers. And we worked every day together in this, like right out of college. And we tried the appliances tested, learn them. We, w- we were given a budget for groceries to go be creative and bake and, you know, do your own laundry out of college and all these things. Mm-hmm. But they really felt like in order for us to be successful in their business, we had to be authentic. And if we're going to sell a washing machine to a 35 year old mom, who's got four screaming kids, how could we do that with just being college kids right out of school? So mm-hmm. I did that program. And then I was shipped off to a location, Asheville, North Carolina. And then from there, I moved to Philadelphia and was in their builder program. So I sold to big high rises. And I just, I always am hungry for knowledge and learning more. And so I just talked to my boss and said, Hey, I'm just really interested in growing my mind. And, you know, I feel like I've been out of school for a few years and I think I can do this along with my job. And at the time, Whirlpool sponsored so many people for their masters at the same time. And ironically, I wanted to study HR. So to get my Mm. master's in HR, because I loved like organizations and how they operate. So I got my master's in organizational development. And you know, it's interesting, I've never transitioned to HR, but it has proved to be fruitful several times with some larger restructures that I've had to either lead or be a part of. And so mm-hmm. I've had to scratch, you know, deep down into my old master's days, but it really was just started as a way of keeping my mind fresh and current. And so I did that for a few years while I was working and then moved back to corporate offices at Whirlpool. I worked on a Lowe's account and a couple other businesses. And then from there, um, was recruited by Adi. Nice. Your husband still works at Whirlpool. Did you meet each other at Whirlpool? Ah, ironically, we did not. We worked for competitors for a while. Ah. But we were high school sweethearts. Aw. So yeah. So Mike and I, we started dating senior year of high school. And we've been together for longer. We've known each other for a long, like more than half of our lives, I guess. We met, we went to college. We actually went to the same college. And then we both went our separate ways. He went to go work for the Orlando Magic. So he has a degree Mm. in entertainment and sports promotions management. So we kind of joke he should work at Adidas. (laughs) You know, that's his calling right out of school is that. And he worked there. And then he got recruited by Maytag when I was working at Whirlpool. So that was an interesting conversation. We were, we were still just dating at the time and had to make sure like both of our HR departments knew and there was no issue that he was going to be working for them. So it's kind of like, you know, where you are in Portland and with Adidas, there's a, a lot of folks that are in the Nike and Adidas world or Columbia. Mm-hmm. A lot of those folks are all together and probably some of them married working for competitors. So that was yep. interesting. And then what made it even more interesting is the year that we got married, Whirlpool bought out Maytag. Oh. And so Mike actually left the company about five weeks before we were married because we were unsure what the future was, if they would keep the Maytag employees or not. And so he left and I stayed and, and then they hired him back again. So yeah, he's he's been with them for, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say like 18, 20 years, somewhere around in there, roughly. Wow. That's so interesting. And can you tell us about your career journey within Audi? I remember when I first met you, I believe you were working in running specialty and then you moved up into your current role in Kohl's, but I know you've had mm-hmm. a longer career than that there. Can you just talk about that development and, and what your different roles at Adidas have looked like? For sure. I was um, recruited by Adidas. I wasn't looking for a job outside of Whirlpool. I was pretty happy with where I was, mm-hmm. but as many people would say, be careful putting all your eggs in one basket. Mike and I both working there had all of our lively 
livelihood in this, you know, little small town and with this company, really large company. And my friend Erica had reached out to me about an open role that was available. And so I entered Adidas in the regional, like I think it was called Super Region at the time, but I was in charge of regional sporting goods for the central area. So I had some folks like Dunham's and MC Sports and Shields and those accounts. And Mm -hmm. I started there, was there for a few years. And then I went into Specialty Run. Actually, before Specialty Run, I worked on Reebok for a little bit. We merged Reebok and Adidas together. I forgot Mm -hmm. about that. Ooh, that was was an interesting time. And I had what they called all sports specialty. So I had accounts like City Sports and, you know, some of those uh, Omega Sports, some of those regional accounts that were really specialized. (laughs) City Sports being out of business now, but I moved from there into specialty. So I kind of had that specialty edge by working with them. Mm-hmm. And then I was asked to take over running specialty for North America. And I actually turned the job down the first time. And I just felt like it wasn't the right time for me. I had just had my first baby and there was a lot going on. And I really appreciate the brand giving me that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And about nine months later, the role was still open. And I said, yes, it worked out. It was a good time. Things were in kind of in a different position then. And so it was really happy to join the running specialty team. And then from there, I went to Kohl's. But I would say when I think about my career at Adidas, I love what I'm doing at Kohl's. But the running team and what we were doing there, we built this incredible journey with launching Ultra Boost. For those of you that are familiar (laughs) with Mm -hmm. it, you know what I'm talking about. For those that aren't, go look it up. We still sell it. It's one of the best shoes on the market. But I had a great team of people still keep in contact with so many of them today. And really, it was it was about building something from the heart, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit for those not super familiar just with what like the sell-in process just kind of in general terms looks like for running specialty accounts or for Kohl's mm-hmm. just to get a little bit more of an idea of kind of the what it looks like day to day? Yeah. Well, first I would say, I'll have to look this up. I don't know if you do show notes or not, Jesse, mm-hmm. but yeah. okay. There's a, a pretty funny video on a day in the life of a sales rep. So we've played that at a sales meeting or two before. So it's really funny to watch. If you really want to see it in real time, it's definitely a spoof on it, but it's <laughs> there's some there's some realistic moments in it. But what the team does when they're selling in product is we we get the range that's given from the global team. And then the global team hands that off to North America. North America looks and determines what's suitable for our segment of the business or our area of the world. And then the Kohl's team partners with our assortment teams to build a range. So we build, let's, I'll use apparel. So we'll look at all of the shorts, we'll look at all of the t-shirts, all of the fleece, et cetera, et cetera, that's available to us. And then we will build what we think is the best and most valuable range for the account. So we'll use Kohl's as an example. So my team will then, they spend time with the assortment teams, kind of touching and feeling the product when we're together. It's been Uh a little challenging during these virtual times to really Uh understand like how heavy something is or what it feels like, but we build that product. We build it out to the fixtures that you would see on a Kohl's floor. And then we meet with Kohl's and we work to kind of sell in the range with them. We have probably, I'd say, two to three really large meetings with broader teams on the phone where we kind of go through the product or if we're live, we meet and we go through it together. We identify if there's any gaps, if the customers will resonate with this, if they're seeing anything else from our competition, etc. And then we kind of come back and we scrub the range and we do that probably, I'd say two to three times before we present to them what the final product would look like. And then Kohl's from there places their orders. And then you see that on the floor at a Kohl's store about six to eight months after we start that process. Great. Perfect. Thank you mm-hmm. for the explanation. Going over to Silver Harbor Brewing. So what did it look like to start that with you and your husband both working full time when you started that? And then I'm curious also what your role has been over time over the last, I think you said 
five years since you started mm-hmm. it. So yeah, I'd love to learn more about the the beginnings. Sure. Well, I mentioned that we had no experience in restauranteering or brewing. We like to drink beer. <laughs> we like to eat beer too, but that's about the extent. But it really started with just a desire to, I'd say, do something different. We always had that kind of nudge of entrepreneurship and wanting to try new things and also looking for different places to invest, but then also looking at our community and finding a place that we could potentially give back and participate in our community, which we care deeply about. Mm -hmm. And so on a whim, my husband and friend of our family, they were test driving a new car. Mike was buying a new car and they were driving back from doing that test drive. And they stopped at a brewery, which is about 20 minutes away from where we live, south of us. And it it was the day after Christmas. So you don't know Michigan, snowy and cold. Mm -hmm. And so it's snowing outside. It's cold. I don't know why they chose to test drive a car then, but they did. And they sit at this brewery to grab lunch and it's packed. And they thought it's in the middle of nowhere, really a town Mm -hmm. of maybe a thousand people packed. Let's call it hundred, hundred people or so sitting there drinking, eating with family, not whatnot. And they thought we don't have anything like this in St. Joe. And if you don't know St. Joe, it's a quaint little beach town on Lake Michigan. I don't want to sell it too much because we like to keep it that way. But (laughs) a lot of people kind of refer to Southwest Michigan as like the Hamptons are to New York or the Riviera of the Midwest. It's an area where a lot of people go to vacation from the big city and kind of get away. And so we don't have a brewery in our town. And we thought there's there's a few wineries and wine tasting rooms and whatnot. And we thought, well, what a great opportunity. And so interestingly enough, what we did from there in order to build a business plan, when you have no experience and you're in an industry that really doesn't have like NPD or Nielsen data or uh-huh. any really great places to resource and understand what the size of the price could be, we paid our family and friends to go out and count pints. So what does that mean? So we would pay someone. So Jesse, let's say I paid you to go to several of the local breweries in town from Mm -hmm. the hours of two to five. And you would literally every 30 minutes count pints and I would pay for your drinks and your food while you were there. So we did this for like three or four months and had friends and family go out, count pints. And that helped us create this establishment for our baseline. What would be our hours of operation? How many, you know, like we we would determine based off of those pints, like, do we, did we want to have a restaurant or not? Cause a lot of breweries, you know, living in Portland, which is a Mecca mm-hmm. breweries, they, a lot of them have, don't have food, right. Food trucks or bring your own or whatever. Right. And so we, based off of that, we determined that we needed to offset it with an actual restaurant in house and not just have food trucks and bring your own. And so we just kind of built our business plan. And then from there, I mentioned Northwood university, my husband called his college roommate who had over 15 years of experience or more in hospitality. He was actually working at a brewery outside of Missoula, Montana. And we convinced him to come back to Michigan, come live in our house with us and our girls and help us build this brewery from the ground up. And so Ben was instrumental in, you know, it's, it's all about surrounding yourself, whether it's a brewery or, you know, Adidas or even what you're doing with your podcast, right? It's about surrounding yourself yourself with people that are smarter than you, that know, that know the ins and outs and that Mm -hmm. are willing to be on the same page as you and take those risks and jump in. And so from there, the rest is history. We, we have the tap room was originally a hundred people and quickly we had on our five-year business plan, five years in, we wanted to open and expand. We bought a building that was large enough where we could expand 16,000 square feet. And we, we ended up expanding in year two because we had such a great output from the community and just a, a tremendous amount of support. And we were actually known for our food before our beer. So it's kind of interesting wow. what you brought out to be after ended up not being our number one, you know, biggest hit. So if you look at our Yelp reviews, um, we were actually rated the number one restaurant in Southwest Michigan. And wow. a lot of it's because of both the beer and the food. So we made the right decision with that business plan early on, Jesse, to go after the food too. It's yeah. been well, and we've learned as we've as we've grown. So you asked about my role as the second part of the question, and as being a 
small business owner, your role is everything. So mm-hmm. I do whatever I need to, but my primary role is I manage the majority of our social media. So I do that on the nights and weekends because I obviously have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And so I do that. I also have a lot of input into the menu. Um, when we were building Silver Harbor, we didn't hire a designer for picking out fixtures and things. I, I love doing that. And so that's been my role is I pick out the paint colors, the light fixtures, how things are going to be laid out. And I have a lot of fun with that. And I think maybe if I wanted to ever retire and do something besides run the brewery, it might be a little interior design work on the side. It's been a lot of fun doing that. So that's been my role. But I'll tell you, the team, they're super self-sufficient. We have an awesome general manager, Ray, that he runs the show. We have a lot of trust in our management team there because they Mm -hmm. have to operate it and they own it. They run it day to day. And they probably would prefer Mike and I to stay out. We probably create more of a ruckus when we do come in. (laughs) But I was there a couple Saturdays ago. I was next door working on something and they needed, they were running low on silverware. So in the dishwasher pit, I went and I washed dishes for two hours. So I think you have to remain humble and know that your role is any role at any given point in time so that you can keep the ship moving. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Do you have any stories from initially starting up or really it could be any time, but of late nights or trying to figure things out last minute. You had your friend that had some experience, but it seems like Mm -hmm. there's probably a steep learning curve at the beginning. Any interesting stories? Oh my, there are too many to tell you. (laughs) There are so many. And Mike's experienced many more than me because I was seven months pregnant when we opened. Oh wow. With my second daughter. So (laughs) he spent a lot of weekends there working on things and late nights. I think I would say, let's see if I have any good stories like to to tap into. One of the things we did to save money when we were opening is we went around to different places to buy used equipment. And so that was an adventure for us, like inspecting equipment, learning about it. And Mm -hmm. anyhow, my dad and Ben, our previous general manager and friend from college that came and ran the place for us for a while, they went to Chicago to a restaurant. I think it was Hands, but I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. They were closing. And so we thought we're going to go in, we're going to get all this great equipment and we're going to load up. It was before we were opened and we'll bring it back. And I wasn't a part of this story, but they had loaded up and they were going down the road and they took a covered trailer with them that my dad had and were filling it up with all these goods that we were going to bring back and reuse. And the trailer came unhitched from the (gasps) truck as they were going down the road. And I just, everything was salvaged. There was no issue. No one was hurt. But you just think about things like that. And you think about everything that you did to save a nickel, right? Mm -hmm. So that you could get the place open to get things operating. And now in hindsight, as we look at it, I'm going to go with like 90% of that equipment and materials that we've purchased used has been replaced. We had so many issues. Uh We have a laugh about some of that stuff now, but you think about as you're going through it and you're in the midst of all of these expenses, you're trying to, you know, just shave back where you can and try and cut a few corners, if you will. And they never came without some, some story going along with them, like a trailer coming unhitched while you're driving down the highway. So we have a lot of those examples, but you recover and then you keep moving on. Yeah. Wow. If you've been around the last couple episodes, you know that Live Bar is now a sponsor of Iro's Corner. Live Bars are organic superfood energy bars free from gluten, soy, dairy, corn. They're non-GMO and they're packaged in a home compostable wrapper. We bake them with love in Salem, Oregon. Let's face it, most bars in the energy bar aisle are just kind of gross. Or if they taste okay, it's because they're actually just a glorified candy bar and you would be basically the same off health-wise just eating the candy bar. So Live Bars give you a different option. We also have a subscription service on our website that a lot of people take advantage of. You can sign up for bars to be delivered between every one to every 12 weeks. You can pick a variety pack or the same flavor if you have a favorite flavor and have those delivered to you at a regular basis. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to make decisions about what energy bars and snacks to have in your car or in your pantry for you or your kids. We can solve that for you. So there's a special code just for Iro's Corner listeners. You use code T20TEA20 and you'll get 20% off 
your order. And it's okay if you're an existing customer, you can get another 20% off another order because you're just that special as an Iros Corner listener. Now, with all the things that you have going on, I'm curious about your perspective on balance and avoiding burnout. When I was experiencing burnout at Audi, you were someone that reached out to me and encouraged me. And I always really appreciated that. And I'm curious how for yourself, you manage that and take care of yourself. And if you'd be willing to share more about that and any tips you have for others. Yeah, thank you for that. You never know when you might breathe some sort of life into someone. And I I guess I didn't know that that was the case. So I really appreciate that. And what I would say is it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you don't even know that you're burnout when you're burnt out, right? Mm-hmm. You're just moving so quickly and trying to get everything done. And, and you want to be, I mean, if you're, if you're a great employee, you want to be successful and you want to be top of your game. And you're really trying to drive either yourself and your team to run through walls and just do whatever you can for the greater good. And I think one of the things that I've learned, and I've actually, I think we've all experienced this, whether we admit it or not in some way, shape or form through the pandemic that we're still going through, right? Mm-hmm. Is burnout in different ways. Burnout looks different to different people. Mm -hmm. And I myself just had a recharge last weekend. I took two days off on a Thursday and Friday. I talked to my boss about it and she was super supportive of me just going and getting refueled and re-energized in a leadership conference that I found, the Global Leadership Summit by Willow Creek. And I think it's important for a couple of things. What I would say is having people that you can trust at work and at home that that hold you accountable, that let you know, hey, Jamie, your fuse is a little short these days. Like Mm -hmm. realize how you just provided that feedback. It was really curt or just anybody that can say to you and and be honest with you and transparent when there is something happening or vice versa, that you can be that to that person. Like, hey, can you just give me some quick feedback, fast feedback? Like how are things coming across? How, How am I looking in this scenario? Should we, even if it's with your team, you know, should we, should we go off screen instead of being on Zoom or Teams or whatever it is, mm-hmm. not cool for a couple meetings? Are people getting exhausted from it? So I think that piece of accountability is key in a two-way street, someone that can hold you, know, you accountable, someone that you can lean in as well. And then I just think that as we just have to be real with each other and be honest. And I think in terms of business, one thing that I've held on to that someone said to me, and this is really hard but don't personalize things that aren't personal. Mm. So, you know, don't take that in. You never know what somebody else is going through. And we've spent a lot of time, even in as a leadership team, Adidas has done an incredible job of coaching us on just working with people through the pandemic. And you just don't know what people's lives are at home. A lot of people, and I appreciate this, tend to lean into you're a mom, you have kids at home. So you, you get off work from working at home. Then you have to immediately turn it on with your kids. You have no downtime, no decompression. And you mm-hmm. have the kids and then you're back probably working later at night again to pick up where you left off and then you're cycling all over again. And when people were teaching their kids from home, I think a lot of resources were supporting families with kids. Mm. But one of the things that Adidas did that I thought was really great is they talked a lot about, you just don't know what other people are going through. Someone could be a single person in a 500 square foot apartment in New York City and they can't go anywhere and see anyone. And they equally are as exhausted or burnt out or just spent from no interaction. Or you might have folks where their parents moved in because they had a family circumstance and now they're a multi-generational home and they're caring for themselves and their family and their parents, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you just never know what people have going on behind the scenes. So I think you always have to be mindful. And this is, I'm saying it to myself as I'm saying it out loud, Mm -hmm. right? You just never know what people are going through and just don't take it personal. And then if you do see that happening, be open and honest and just take a step back and ask someone like, how are you doing? You know, check on them. And they will then either talk to you and open up or they may choose not to. But sometimes it's just as much as just saying, no, how are you? Not not how's business, not how how's the meeting, how are meetings going or whatever it is. Really just taking a pause to say, how are you? And if you see someone that's going through that, just stopping to do it. 
And I heard an interesting stat last week when I was in this Global Leadership Summit, a um, psychologist, Dr. Henry Cloud spoke and mm, he said, wow. um, yeah, he, it, great guy to look up. And he's been coaching a lot of senior, you know, CEOs through the pandemic on down to, you know, his, nor- his normal clients. He's written, I think he said like 20 or 30 books or more. So, you know, great guy. And he said that clinical depression or people that are going through a clinical mental illness, mental health crisis, were typically 15 to 18% before the pandemic. And now it's upwards of 40% or recent, recently published numbers that 40% of people have some sort of mental health crisis. And he wow. listed off these like seven bullets that define what would be a mental health crisis. And I'm sitting in the, the room going, not me, no chance. And just being vulnerable here, he started reading them off. And I thought, check, check. <laughs> Well, I don't consider myself to be going through that enough that maybe I'm seeking help for it or anything else. But the reality is I checked a few of those boxes. Mm-hmm. And so I think we all just have to have a little bit more grace with people and reach out a little bit more, whether it's a pandemic or not, right? Mm-hmm. We're moving into a new normal, as people are saying, and brands and companies that you work for, whether it's your own or even working for a company like Adidas or anywhere else, they will always, always prioritize the brand and the business. The people matter for sure. But you are the only one that will prioritize yourself first all the time. So I think that's my advice to people is, you know, how do you take care of yourself during burnout is stopping and pausing and assessing where you're at, really listening, asking other people for accountability and advice. And then when you do get that piece of feedback, even if it's a little bit that maybe you are a little bit on edge, take the time, ask for the time and just take a step back and reassess and then come back in and be re-energized. Whatever you do to energize yourself, for me, it's thinking and learning and going to a conference for other people. It might just be going fishing. I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. But just taking that time for yourself. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing and for being vulnerable. I think that it's been really important. And we've tried to do this at Live Bar too, of just talking about if that it's okay to talk about mental health and how you're doing and because it it does come out in our work and it comes out in how we show up and being able to check in with each other and really ask how like you said like how are you you as a person I think those are so important so that's that's all really helpful advice so I really appreciate that yeah and if I could add one more thing to that yeah I would just say for me personally I've experienced this and I think this is something that happens to a lot of people you tend to when you're going through challenging times you tend to whether take it out or lean in on the people that are closest to you, whether it's your family, your friends, your team, the most. Mm -hmm. So just be mindful that, you know, you might on the surface ever to to those people that you talk to once in a while, or someone like you, Jesse, you're interviewing me for a podcast and we don't talk all the time. And so it's really those people that are close. So if you're looking for that pulse check, it's really easy to talk to the person that works with you every day or the person you eat dinner with every day to really Mm -hmm. identify whether there's a challenge or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. That's that's a great reminder. I'm wondering also a little bit. So, you know, we just talked about all the different things you have going on at your household with the brewery, with Adidas, Whirlpool. You have two young girls. Just what does kind of a what's a week in the life at the gross household look like right now? Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) We are always doing something. I was interviewed at Adidas for a women talk program a couple years ago. And one of the questions was something around, you know, what what does your family do? And you look like you have it all together. How are you doing this? And I always remind people that we all live in different realities, right? And so my reality in the week of the, the week in the life of the gross family is probably very different than others, but we have a village that surrounds us and that enables us to do a lot of what we do. So I'm very blessed to have convinced my baby sister and her fiance, boyfriend at the time, to move from North Carolina to St. Joe, Michigan and become my nanny full time. So my sister watches my kids. And so she's watched them ever since my daughter Kennedy. She's seven now. So ever since she was a year. And then I had Reagan and she's been watching them ever since. And during the pandemic, she had her first child, Elijah. So she brings him to work with her. And right now they're upstairs crafting or, you know, doing something. So 
So she watches my kids full time. Typically in the mornings, I get up, he heads off to work early or heads downstairs now, nowadays mm-hmm. early to start working. And then Amy takes over the girls after I get them up during the summer. It's kind of nice because they're sleeping in a little bit. So I don't have to get them ready to go to school or anything. But during the school year, I typically do the drop offs in the morning. So I start my my day at Adidas typically between 8 and 8.30 so that I can get the kids to school and back, which mm-hmm. works out really well because I'm on East Coast time and Portland's three hours behind me. So the meat of my calls and my meetings don't start until about 11 o'clock my time. So it gives me a little time to meet with my team that's based in Chicago and kind of settle into things. In the summer, my kids are doing stuff with, with Amy, the nanny, sister nanny, I call her. And then <laughs> at night, you know, it's just we try and schedule meals and do what we can to make it through. But if I'm real, I'm like a lot of other families and we just throw something together with what's in the pantry. We eat, we try and play a game. We put in a pool during the pandemic. So this summer, maximizing our pool time, we'll go out even if it's for like 30 or 45 minutes and do that and then walk the dog because we got a dog because who doesn't want a pandemic puppy? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So we added Alexander Hamilton, uh, the girls named him. So Alex is in our family. He's a mini golden doodle. And we just try and spend maximized time together. My kids go to bed a little later than most because I don't get off work typically until about six or 630 due to the Portland time zone that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So my kids go to bed around 830 or so we start the bedtime routine. We read a few books every night. That's key no matter where we are, what we're doing, we get two to three books in always. And then we we put them to bed. And then that's where the night job starts. That's when Mike and I start talking Silver Harbor. Maybe I'm picking back up some of my Adidas work at night. We're scheduling social posts for the next week or two, kind of talking through our new business venture and just other things that we're doing. And then we try and we do that on repeat multiple days a week. And then Fridays, we try and exhale. And Mike usually spends a little bit of time doing the books at the businesses on the Saturday mornings. I get some time with the kids, go to church on Sunday, and we start it all back over again. It is a village. My sister is my nanny, and I lost my father. It'll be three years in September unexpectedly to heart failure. And my mom moved in with us Mm -hmm. um, after he passed. And so we have my mom here. So that's been fun. But I'll tell you, Jesse, I joke with them. So this would be no surprise if they listen to the podcast that I feel like I moved back in like home in high school. I have my sister here <laughs> today. My mom's here. I'm here. So it can get a little stressful at times where you're kind of like, I need my space. But we operate as a really big extended family unit. We're kind of like, what was that show? Like Modern Family? Mm-hmm. We're all... <laughs> We're all around. We're all doing stuff. And I have a sister-in-law that lives close and nieces that pop over that are ones at U of M and the other ones starting high school. So, you know, we just, we lean in and we leverage those people around us, try and spend time with our friends as much as we can. And and then we just, you know, we we make make our way, we pave our way. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing. Because yeah, I think, like you said, every family functions differently and people do things different ways. And When you see someone that's such a high performer like yourself, it's, you know, you wonder what's kind of behind the curtain. And it's always helpful to kind of hear how people manage and what their village is like and their support system. And so thank you for sharing about that. Yeah, you bet. And you mentioned as we were getting ready and prepped, and I put this question in here because I was like, I know that Jamie's probably got some sort of side project, some (laughs) iron in the fire. So tell us what's coming up next. What's the what's the latest side project? Yeah. So we do. We are expanding Silver Harbor in a new way. So we, I mentioned that we opened a little over five years ago and we immediately expanded what we called the garden, which was a secondary, Mm. you know, dining and beer facility. It was going to be a beer garden only, but we kind of, again, you, you listen to your customer, you take your insights from what they're showing you and sharing with you. And we pivoted that space to be an overflow dining and brewery area. But oftentimes, Times we were being asked for a place for events. And mm. we made a commitment early on. We never wanted to shut our business down for private events because you know how it is, Jesse, right? You, you're getting ready to go eat somewhere and you pull up and it's like closed today for a private event. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? 
we're your regulars. So we decided we weren't going to do that. So we opened this space and we said, well, we'll take events in the garden. It can hold up to 100 people. We've had weddings, baby showers, networking events for like young professionals. The hospital uses it a lot for meetings just to break things up. And so we, even through the pandemic, we were closed, obviously, with government orders. But then once we were able to reopen, the events started rolling in. So we thought, okay, we need to listen to what... what's happening and how many people were having to turn away because we don't have the space. And the building next door to us, someone was buying it and that fell through. And so my husband and I tapped our business partners and said, what do you think? Let's buy the building. Let's maybe explore what we could do. Throw a lowball offer out there. And our business partners just weren't really interested in expanding at that point or getting into the next thing. And then we said, well, we'll just do it on our own. And so we started and we laid out a business plan for an event facility and what that would look like. We bought the building. And then due to some government regulations around beer and beer sales, we ended up combining the buildings and our business partners ended up backing it and going in on it with us. So that was nice. So now we will be expanding to an event facility. It's called Union and Social. And it's well under construction right now. And we're hoping this fall will be open. We'd love to open with like a fun Oktoberfest event. Mm -hmm. People wearing lederhosen's and picnic tables and fun stuff. But ultimately, (laughs) the goal is that it will likely be a facility for weddings and other large events. And then for the community, because I mentioned we're a small community, in the winter, it gets a little tiring to live here because the snow is there and it's cold. And there's a lot of the businesses um, shut down or they close seasonally. So we'd love to be able to offer back for the community some cool events. I don't know if you've ever seen like the bars that turn into like a Christmas bar and Uh all the fun stuff with pictures with Santa. So we've been drumming up some fun ideas to see what we could do and be able to to partner with the community and do some things that are fun too. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so excited to follow how that all unfolds. Yes, I will. I'll make sure that you get our handle once we're official so you can follow along. And if you ever make it to Michigan, we'll make sure that we show you a good time. Awesome. I love it. Now, there's a few questions that I ask every guest. So the first one is, what's an oddly satisfying part of your job? (laughs) It could be at Audi, it could be at the brewery, but something that it could even be kind of mundane to someone else, but something that just gives you this internal satisfaction where you're like, ah, I just love when this happens. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I guess what I would say is I like to be organized. I'm a big note taker. And so we we started OneNote and I have everything in in OneNote now. It's kind of like my livelihood. And mm-hmm. so I would say when I put together a list or when I get other people sharing a notebook with me and we do all of our project work in a notebook together, mm-hmm. oddly satisfying. But you can track everything. You can search. It. I'm doing like mm-hmm. a PR campaign here for OneNote, but it's been really good to be able to do that. I would say the same thing at home too. Like when we share, whether it's Amy, the sister nanny and I, here's the things that we need to accomplish for the girls and get it done. And we have like shared electronic lists and we can see progress happening even when I'm not working in it. Mm-hmm. That makes me happy. <laughs> I love it. I'm a list maker <laughs> note person. So yes, that I feel secondary satisfaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then do you have a favorite tea? I believe you said you were drinking some tea during the podcast. So you I'm guessing you have a favorite. Yes, I am. And this one was a tea my team gave me two years ago. I'm a big fan of Oprah. And I love, you know, Oprah's favorite things. I've never won a car or anything, but I always follow along. And my Uh team did a really creative gift for me. And it was called it was their favorite things. So each person picked it didn't matter the cost, but they picked their favorite thing. And they packaged it up and put it in a gift to give me of their favorite things, which was super cool. And so Megan Doyle, the planner on our team, gave me a few small favorite things of hers. And one of them was this tea. And the tea is, I don't want to butcher, I'm looking at the tag, Harney and Sons. So they're in those tin cans. Oh yeah. I get it from Target, but it's an interesting one because it's cinnamon. It's called hot cinnamon spice. And I don't put, add anything to it. No milk, no sugar. I just drink it straight up. Mm -hmm. And it's a really nice, especially in the winter, it's really nice and warm and, you know, cinnamon spice around the holidays. But I actually like it as a nice little offset when I'm getting a sweet tooth that craves 
it gives me that like it curbs the craving, I should say, when I get mm-hmm. this food too. So I like this one. Have you had it? No, I haven't, but it sounds delicious. Mm, I'll have to drop one in the mail to you. It's, <laughs> it's good. I've now given it away to other people because now it's on my favorite things list. Nice. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share before we go into tips and dregs or final segment? You know, I would just say this has been a great experience. It's my first podcast being interviewed for one. And I told you, Jesse, when you hit me up that I love I'm a podcast listener avidly. Lots of different podcasts. I don't have enough time to listen to all the ones. Many of them are on parenting. But I think that it's really great to take little bits and pieces from other people's experiences and process them and make them your own. And I'm a big fan of Dolly Parton. People that follow me on social know that I am. In fact, there's a really great podcast on Dolly Parton. <laughs> but one of the one of her quotes that she says is, if you don't like the road you're walking, start paving another one. Mm. And I think that's a really, really great quote for people to hang on to. Don't try and pave, pave the path that someone else has forged. Don't try and, you know, take on someone else's experiences and make them your own or think that you have to live up to something else or, you know, just with anyone. Be unique, be yourself. And if you don't like what's happening, you have the power to make that change. You can start paving another path. And I love Jesse. That's what you did for yourself. You took a pause from what you were doing. You forged a new path and you're doing great. And I love it. And I think that I I hope that more and more people really take Dolly's advice or even hear mine and just start paving your path, whether it's what you're doing today and making it that much better or finding that outlet that really makes you happy and running with it. I think the more we can encourage other people to do that, the better off we'll all be. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. And that's That's something that definitely was part of why I started this is I want to connect people with other people that are are just out there doing things and encourage people that, like you said, if you you can just go and do something different and you can try something new. And I I love that. That's that's really great. Thank you for sharing. You bet. So our last segment is tips and dregs. So tips Mm -hmm. being the sweet part of the tea dregs being kind of the grains at the bottom thinking over your last week or it could be longer. But so what's something that was kind of like a high point or a tip and something that was more of a low point? I like to start with dregs and then end on tips and we can go back and forth and I can kick us off if if that's helpful. Sure. All right. So dregs, I actually I've been struggling to think of uh, dregs, which I guess is uh, I guess is probably a good thing. I guess I would have to say for my dregs is it's it's not a super hardcore dregs, but I've been boxing four times a week and I love it. And we got a new instructor and we normally do like we end with core and today he decided to have us do like across the length of the studio bear crawls suicide (laughs) runs superman crawling push-ups like it was just like all of a sudden like oh my word this is not what i was planning on my monday morning (laughs) so i was a little bit a little bit discouraged at the change but then i was like you know what it's okay to do something different i can roll with this it's gonna be good but that was a little bit of a like sometimes you get set on the way that a certain thing's gonna be and then you're like yeah that's not what i was expecting but it was good for me and i'm stronger because of it <laughs> mm-hmm. that's good well i would say for me do you want to go back to back or let me tell you my yeah, yeah go for your let's go for your drinks okay all right, my drag. I was kind of leaning back on something that I mentioned to you earlier before we actually jumped on together on the recording is we unfortunately have about 14 people at the brewery that are heading back to college. So they've had a great summer. We've had a great summer with them, mm-hmm. but that is putting us into a staffing crunch and we're having to make some pretty tough decisions on how we operate as a business with the tough times with staffing. So that's been one that's probably a little bit heavy yeah but yeah that's been a tough one so life isn't always rosy but we can we'll we'll make some good decisions coming out of it and I think it'll be great for our business in in the long run yeah yeah that's that's a big big challenge all right so then tips so Mm -hmm. this weekend we got to go to it's called my people's market and they do it a couple times a year in Portland and the goal is to they try to create a really diverse marketplace, multicultural vendors. And I hadn't been able to go before. And so Daniel and I yesterday morning, it was like, oh, let's go see if we can check out that event. And it was downtown. There was a ton of vendors and it was just 
awesome. We sampled so many different things. He loves hot sauce and barbecue sauce. So we sampled a ton of those and coffees. And there was a a tea company that I sampled that I'm trying today. And yeah, it was just awesome. It was great to haven't really been to many events. And it was it was nice and spaced out and people had their mask on. So it also felt safe. But it was just cool to see people again and see vendors and discover a ton of new businesses that I didn't know were in Portland and be able to get to try them and now know where they are and meet the owners. And it was just a really cool, uplifting experience on a Sunday to get to try new things. And I always love meeting more, more local business owners. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I have a, I I think this weekend for me, my tips, I probably have two that are tied. So they both deal with my family. (laughs) My daughter was in a camp all last week. It was her first time in a theater camp and she was in the Lion King Jr. And so on Friday, we got to go watch her performance and she was a hyena and a sheep and she did great. I love hyenas now, even though they're, they're not any animal that's part of the pride of the pride lands, I guess, or the highlight yeah. of the lands. But so that was pretty cool. And then on Sunday, we went with both my daughters and my nieces, and my sister-in-law back to school shopping. And it's been a tradition that we have done, golly, I think for probably 10 plus years, we haven't missed a year where we've come together and made it a point even before my kids were born to do back to school shopping with hers. So it's kind of fun when you have those things that you carry on and you make it happen. And to your point, you know, masked up, socially distanced, all of that. But it was so nice to be able to get back in and do it since we didn't get a chance to last year. So I don't consider last year to be a failure and that we missed the tradition because we were kind of forced out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't doesn't count. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's funny you have tips and tips and tricks because we do something around our dining room table every night. And we, we always try to make a point to have dinner together. And we say our high, our low and our buffalo. And it's your high for the day, your low for the day and buffalo just because it rhymes. But anything you want to say that's really positive about the day. So this kind of reminds me of it. I like it. I think it's important to talk about both the tips and the dregs, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been so fun, Jamie. I'm so happy that you were able to come on and get to chat with you. And yeah, you've inspired me for a long time and I've had you on my list and I'm so glad that you accepted and were able to come chat. It's been it's been really uplifting and inspirational. And I'm excited to share this episode with our listeners and have them be inspired by you as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And hello to everybody out there. Thanks for giving me a listen with Jesse. And I hope that someday, Jesse, we'll get to see each other live again. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I hope so, too. (laughs) All right. Thank you again. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for joining today, strangers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. The tea consumed on today's episode is a Goddess Oolong by Mamansi Tea Company. I actually found this tea at the My People's Market that I mentioned as my tips. This tea is nutty, sweet, and floral, and it actually says the name of the specific grower of the tea, and it layers in flavors of roasted almonds, sweet honey, and flowers. It was absolutely delicious. I'm on my fourth steep of these tea leaves and really amazing. I found out that Mamansi has two locations in Beaverton and Hillsborough. So I'm super excited to check them out again and go buy some more tea. I'll just share from the back of the packaging here. It says that Anne, the founder, grew up drinking tea in Kenya as a family ritual and communal ceremony. Mamansi is a company with heart. We feel it's our duty to share our prosperity by empowering women and children in Kenya who are living far below the poverty line. Mamansi Tea Company gladly gives 10% of profits back to organizations organizations that empower women in Eastern Africa. Mamansi is proud to be a minority women-owned company, and they offer premium loose-leaf and full-leaf teas along with handmade chocolates specifically curated from the finest source ingredients from across the globe. For a link to this tea, Jamie's favorite tea, and any other teas mentioned on the podcast, head to iroscorner.com and check out our tea library. If you like today's episode, please like, subscribe, share, support us on Patreon, whatever you would like to do to help continue to see more content from Iroh's Corner. In the words of Uncle Iroh, While it is always best to believe in oneself, a little help from others can be a great blessing. Did you hear that? He's definitely drinking tea and thinking about five-star reviews. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach out on any of our social media accounts or at hello at iroscorner.com. See you next time, strangers. 